Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and catch your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Dell Wamsley. Welcome to Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, I have with us a national multifamily consultant, Mr. J.B. Data Durham. J.B., welcome to the show today. Del, Del, thank you so much for having me, and what another great day it is to be a real estate investor, not only in Texas, but across America. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, I want to cover something a little different today. I know you like to get into the data and you like to talk about all the facts and figures, but I'm thinking the listeners out there, JB, need something completely different than that because, you know, until they're already in the business, hearing all the data about the business is really not as important as really the gut-wrenching reality of why people get into this business. And uh, I know a little bit about your story. You've told it to me a couple times, but it was never really deeply explained on the radio. Um, and I know myself, I started out with purchasing single family houses. And then after I did single family houses, I bought a 10 unit and then I bought a 20 unit and literally then I bought a 30 unit and it sounds impossible, but then literally I bought a 40 unit. It's kind of weird, but that's the way it worked. Then I bought a 64 unit, then a 68 unit, then an 88 unit. And then I bought a 107 unit and then a 140 unit and then a 256 unit, then a 270 unit and then a 320 unit. And so I had this natural progression of a type B personality that just went from one to the other. But the point I'd like to, to zone in on today, JB, is that I was never more happy than when I owned my first or second small apartment complex. And for the first time, I had a manager and maintenance staff, and, and money just rolled in the door. It was so different than when I had houses where, you know, don't get it wrong, I love the houses. I did very little work to manage over 100 houses. I mean, it spent probably four or five hours a week to manage 100 houses. But there was something different about walking on site to a place that was all mine, that I dictated the, the quality and the look and the feel, and the customers were like a family in this location, and I was like the parent of the location, if that makes any sense at all. It's probably a bad analogy, but because you don't really want to adopt these people. But in some way, they look to you 
for their lifestyle and environment, which means that it's a whole different thing in life. You're stepping up in this world to be an owner of something. You're stepping up in this world to take on the responsibility of, you know, others. And so I wanted you to take us through your path because you spent all this time in corporate America real estate, which I didn't spend any time in. And you somehow broke out of it because, you know, you look at Johnny Lama. Johnny couldn't break out of it until I got a hold of him. Other people we know that were John's and yours friends and, you know, work acquaintances to this day are still grinding at the stone and haven't figured out how to go out there and do what those of us that just went out and lucked into it or just worked our way into it got to. And so I want you to explain to people what it's like to be on that corporate side, no matter how much you love your job, how did you transition over? Did you go through houses first? Did you ever do houses? Did you do apartments? What have you done where you were in the same struggle that everybody listening to this radio show right now was in? Share that story with us, JB. Wow. Uh, what a great story. And, and, uh, you know, I'm originally from East Texas and, and I uh, grew up in the Northeast uh, with my mother and dad, and then we slowly transitioned one day down uh, to Florida, and that's where I finished my high school education and attended college and at Florida State University. But, you know, the key really for me when I look back at it, and I get this question quite often, is uh, one of the fundamental blocks is that uh, I was blessed to be a second-generation real estate investor. Now, I had to take action. But my mother and dad bought their first piece of real estate the day I was born, within that month, 53 years ago. Uh, and they were 19 at the time, but they realized that they had to have their money work for them while they still worked for their money. And so that type of innate learning from a young age of, of learning through observation, there was always somebody coming by on Saturday to pay their rent, or we had projects to on. Um, these pieces of real estate that my parents had. And, and so they really started this paradigm shift uh, for themselves uh, and obviously for me. And quite frankly, you know, I have three children and they're in their uh, young adult years and they're all related in, in the apartment industry through property management and in certain service industries. Tell but, us about um, your parents. What kind of properties did they own and how did they get into it? I mean, obviously there weren't any training classes back then in this kind of stuff. No. What no, did they and buy and how did they was, get into it, it? It was trial by error. It was uh, trusting somebody that, yeah, we're going to pay you on Friday. It was trying to figure out somebody just moved out and didn't pay and broke something, and how do we remarket that property. Luckily, you know, my grandfather was kind of a handyman and, and wasn't working, so he kind of uh, became that person that was out there trying to make things happen. But uh, uh, we moved quite often as a young man, and, and my dad kept getting promoted. So every market we were in, whether it was uh, uh, western Pennsylvania or Charlotte or New York or New York City or New Jersey, he consistently found something to put his money to work. And, and, and he started building that capital and that equity. Every time we moved, he had a house to sell plus some rental property. And we'd go to that new location, and he would reinvest and, and start that wheel. And, boy, that really, really impacted me when I started seeing the, the financial aspect of what we were buying these for, what we were selling them for, how that accumulated cash flow 
provided things for my sisters and I. Uh, you know, I had a, at one time had a career path uh, uh, in college, but I certainly switched to business once it really caught on on for me. So I think that foundation of being that second generation really helped me. And then back JB, in the JB, day, just for just for the just for the demonstration, what was that career path? I think I remember you telling me you were going to be a preacher. <laughs> no, I had a grandmother that said you're either going to be a preacher or a politician. I certainly had uh, some leadership skills and the gift of gab, but uh, I settled in the middle to be a property manager. And it's a little bit of uh, laying on of hands when you're squeezing that neck of that customer, and it's a little bit of unfulfilled promises as a politician that certainly is uh, juggling resources and and trying to get things done but you know what happened is in the 80s the forbes richest people there was a big conglomerate of people that were real estate related and that really influenced me as you know well before the dot-com area era And, and and i saw people in the real estate business and what their lifestyle was and i decided uh, i wanted to try that and so it really started as uh, a part-time gig with a free apartment as a leasing agent and I eventually became the assistant manager of 60 units, then the manager of 80 units uh, in Tallahassee, Florida, associated with uh, Florida State University. Uh, and I just applied business principles. I had had entrepreneurial uh, things in the past. I had a bicycle company, and we rented jet skis. And I was always the kid out there shoveling snow or cutting grass. Uh, and so I decided to finish my school Uh, Started as a leasing agent, worked my way through the industry. And what uh, really impressed me during that time period were two things. One uh, was the price point. You know, when you are in today's world, our customers have to make three times the rent to afford that, uh, to qualify for that apartment. I don't know any business where you get one third of somebody's income and you don't even have to be there most of the time. And I remember at the time I had a side business selling hot dogs, Dell. You know how many hot dogs you got to sell to get one-third of somebody's income? <laughs> and so it just kind of fell together. And, and then what uh, happened, uh, which changed the whole industry, uh, was in 86, uh, the Tax Reform Act. And all of a sudden, overnight, it became a cash flow business rather than a write-off. And uh, the little old rare, you know, little old ladies that couldn't sell real estate that were the redheaded stepchild in the property management business really couldn't cut it. They didn't understand cash flow and how to make those decisions. And they were really order takers. They weren't decision makers. That changed the industry. And I happened to be right there when that was going on. And I, I think that's a good place, JB. I think that's a good place to uh, go ahead and break in here. Uh, We've got to take a short break. Our number here is 866-945-6565. Feel free to call in during the break. The lines are open. We'll be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. You're listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell will be right back with more life-changing principles in just a few minutes. Lifestyles Unlimited is the real estate investor education and mentoring group that has been taking people by the hand and teaching them how to invest in real estate for over 25 years. Our students have been so successful at creating wealth and passive income that they've won local, state, and national investor of the year awards 10 of the last 10 years. It's easy to see why Think Realty Magazine named us the best in the U.S. If you're ready to add real estate to your portfolio, go to lifestylesunlimitedpodcast.com to access our free live training. 
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Talk 13.7, the right choice. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Where the hype ends and help begins with me today is JB Data Durham. And, J.B., when we went to break, we were discussing how uh, 1986, I believe it was, the Tax Reform Act changed the way people um, operated their real estate. You want to pick it up right there? Certainly, certainly. And so at that point, the business became a cash flow environment and, and, not, a, and not a write-off. And so uh, it changed the industry for sure. And uh, it was something I was able to take advantage of. Uh, some of the other property managers in the industry just weren't acclimated to really the cash flow formula, which is the same cash flow formula that you and I use today. And so I just began to really kind of master that. And then I grew uh, within the, the management industry. And, and what I quickly realized is that if you do a great job as a third-party manager, we manage for other people. You did a great job and increased the operations, which inherently increased the cash flow or the value. Eventually, they sold to capture that value so you could work your way out of a job doing a great job. And then if you were in a tough market and maybe the property wasn't performing as to the way it was planned or performing or budgeted, budgeted, a lot of times you were the excuse. You were the reason. So if it was a, a poorly poorly run property in a poor market undercapitalized, you could work your way out of a job. And, of course, if you weren't doing a good job, you could work your way out of a job. So it was a, a constant turnover of assets regardless of how we performed or what kind of uh, market you, you were engaged in. And what was unique for me is that I started in the industry on site. And, and I really just applied basic fundamentals and, and, and had some great mentoring uh, with my mother and dad as business leaders, with people uh, that were in the industry, and I really observed a lot of things not to do and just really wanted to work hard to provide a quality product and great service. Uh, and, and it was a lot of fun, Dell. I managed uh, almost 2,000 units uh, right across from uh, Sorority Row at Florida State University. So that was always a fun trip to make sure that pool temperature was perfect on that street. Sure and, uh, I'm going to stop you right there, JB, because I don't want to go down that road too much further yet. We'll come back to that road. Um, I'm going to stay on one topic, and then I'm going to drag you backwards. Well, actually, it might be dragging you forwards in the next time. But the, let's go back to this 
this concept. When I first started investing in real estate, people were buying real estate based on the fact that there is so much of a tax deduction on it that you could literally lose money and make money on your taxes because the tax rate was like 94% marginal tax rate. So top end guys that made a lot of money were losing 50 to 90% of their income. So if you went out here and you lost money in real estate, uh, it didn't matter because you'd get it back in taxes. And with the fact you could get a 90% down or 90% loan to value loan, you put down 10%, you could get that 10% down payment back simply by the tax benefits you got that year. Now, when all that changed in 86, all these people like you're talking about didn't understand because the way properties were valued was is how much was the next stupid guy willing to pay you for that property there was massive appreciation in fact at that time they called it inflation and people were paying more and more and more every year for these things because the more they paid the more deductions they got uh, and they had accelerated depreciation models and so people didn't care but then when all that died Real estate values became tied to net operating income. In other words, the profitability of the property. And nobody knew how to do that. Now, that's what you just said. I've reiterated it, but I'm going to take it one step further. Is that that was when I got into real estate. Because that was when people started selling properties based on income. And I was able to go out and buy apartment complexes with a 20% cap rate. Which, in other words, if you paid cash for it, you're making 20%. You put any kind of leverage on it at all, you were making 30 or 40 or 50% returns. It was ungodly what was happening because people were ignorant. They were no longer getting tax deductions. They had no idea how to increase income or make the thing profitable. So they were just dumping them. And I walked right into that dump, if that makes any sense, JB. I walked right into it in my careers because simply I was at the right place at the right time, again, with what you're saying, with a business model that you buy a business to make money. So that, I think, is a very big point you're making right there. Now, you went through that while you were in the industry. I went through that as a buyer on the outside of the industry, looking at the people in the industry going, boy, these guys are idiots. They have no idea what they're doing because this is really all about making money. And when you, and I didn't even learn for the next five or 10 years that if you increase the NOI, that the value goes up. So what happened was after I got into apartments, I'd been in real estate for 10 years, you raise that NOI and I was adding a million dollars worth of value to a property just by increasing the rents by 50 to hundred dollars a month. And it was just massive. So you went through that on the inside. I went through that on the outside. Now we're going to pick it back up and say, okay, where did you get the, the connect that you could do it? Because up until that time, you were doing it for other people and nobody else was doing it. You were able to do it. You were smart enough to figure that out, pick it up just like I did. And you were able to make them a lot of money. When did you pick it up that you were making them millions and not just a good paycheck? Well, you, you're exactly right. When that change of the industry happened and it became a scientific mathematical formula, that's when I started seeing the zeros. That's when, and, and so my customers went from the, the students at the university or the on-site residents and doing a great job there. I grew through the industry, and then my customers became the owners. 
And so, uh, you know, some of the richest people in those areas of town were now one-on-one customers, and I sat at the table with them as they bought and sold real estate. I sat there and watched, looked at these HUD settlement statements, and just blew my mind about how many, how much money was transferring and, and what our company did or the property management did to facilitate that. So I immediately knew that, man, I've got to get on the other side of that table. And, uh, you know, John Ridgway knew that. Uh, everybody at that level in our industry, uh, uh, they still know that today. They just can't figure it out. And uh, it's, it's very rewarding to facilitate the achievement of wealth for other people. But, boy, when they pull off with that barrel full of money and you're still there, uh, that was a little disheartening. So I have to, tell you, I have to tell you, JB, in my X number of years of doing this now, 25 years, especially in the last 10 to 15 since we've been doing these apartment deals, I can't tell you how many people who were employees in the business, whether it be real estate agents and brokers or whether it be on-site employees or whether it be supervisory material or whether it be even vice presidents of property management companies, I can't tell you how many people sat in that seminar and broke down and cried when they realized what they had missed and what was going on around them and they were not getting a taste of any of the medicine as it was coming out of the bottle. They were just sitting there with the fever, but no medicine. We're going to take a short break, JB. We come back. We'll pick it up right there, and we'll get into what you did then after you realized that you were being kept on the wrong side of the table. If you'd like to ask JB or myself any specific questions, uh, our phone lines are open. We'd love to answer your questions for you. This ro- This radio show is for you. We want to get you involved in real estate, whether it's single family or multifamily or what. Our number here is 866-945-6565. JB is our national multifamily consultant, so he's got a lot of information. Uh, so hang in there, stay with us, and we'll be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Talk 1370, the right choice. For unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to the Del Wamsley Radio Show. With me today is J.B. Data Durham, our multifamily, national multifamily consultant. J.B. sharing his story with us today about how he got into the real estate business. So, J.B., we're going to pick it back up there where you're saying you were sitting on the wrong side of the table and you finally realized that. Let's talk about the actual physical steps that occurred from there. Psychologically, also, where did you go and how did you start manifesting some of this stuff? Certainly, certainly. And and to kind of review, you know, I, I had that mentality, that innate learning from my mother and dad being a potential second generation real estate investor. Uh, the, the, the industry changed uh, with the Tax Reform Act. I certainly recognized the price point of our industry being able to earn one-third of somebody's income in today's market. And then, you know, as I was sitting across the table, 
uh, helping these very wealthy people buy more and more assets, I became aware of one single document that seemed to be the key that everybody needed to have to qualify for these loans, and it was the balance sheet. And, of course, I grew up like everybody else where, hey, that's accounting. You're not smart enough. You need to get an accountant to help you with that. And I just really I went to our accounting staff and asked their opinions and really dove into the simplicity of the balance sheet. It's obviously just, you know, addition and subtraction and sometimes a little bit of a division. But I just realized what those assets meant. And I went back and looked at the file of some loans where some of our, our, our customers had bought a building three years ago and were buying a building back then in the 90s, early 90s or late 80s, and how their balance sheet had changed dramatically. And to me, I, I recognized that, that, that um, the assets I wanted on my balance sheet, which were consistent with these rich people and these millionaires, were things that appreciate, and the other key is cash flow day one. And to get there, I had to save. That's how most people get there. Unless you inherit it, you're, you're, you're cheap, you're frugal, you like nice things, uh, but you really have a focus on that balance sheet mentality. And that light went off for me, and that's when my wife and I really started to, to, to save as much as we could because I realized I needed a down payment to make that transition. And So, so how, I old, started, how old were you then, JB, about oh, what was, age was this uh, 20, epiphany? Uh, the balance sheet discussion with me started when I was about 25. Uh, now, I was married, uh, and obviously we were planning on children, had one on the way, and, and, and so I had, I had to grow up. I don't know that I've fully grown up even today, but I certainly started paying attention to things that were going to impact my, my future family. And I, I cross-referenced that with these wealthy people that I was interacting with and not only their balance sheet and their wealth, but man, their lifestyle, they had the freedom to do whatever, whether they wanted to apply themselves in their assets or whether they wanted me to handle things so that they could go wherever they wanted to go and do whatever they wanted to do. So that matrix of, of those two things really drove me to, to continue to be frugal and conservative. And so um, we knew that, that that's how you do it. Now, now friends in the industry, uh, my peer group, uh, certainly the peer group within the different firms I was with, but also in the industry, everybody began to enrich themselves and buying bigger houses and, and brand new cars, expensive new cars. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really, that really scared me to have that big of an asset on my balance sheet that was depreciating so rapidly. So we had nice things. We, we never had a new car. We had nice homes. We just continued to save until the opportunity presented itself where we could really make that jump and deploy those funds. And, and I didn't have my income covered like you did when you left the gym industry, but I knew I had enough money in the bank that I could get out there and make some things happen. And I had had my eye on several properties to deploy uh, initial funds. And so that's what we did. Uh, I was a, a professional property manager from 1984 through 1996 in the corporate world. And, and I managed and lived in uh, Tallahassee, Florida and managed uh, several thousand units throughout the state. 
then a headhunter took me to the Hampton Roads part of uh, Virginia, which is uh, Virginia Beach and Williamsburg and Portsmouth, Newport News. Uh, geez, I managed a little over 10,000 units there with the help of a great team. Uh, then another headhunter uh, took me to the Atlanta market, uh, and I ran. I managed several thousand units there with the help of a great team. And and I got to tell you, you know, that's where I met my good friend and your good friend, Johnny Lama Ridgeway. And uh, John was a shining light for me when when we uh, worked together there. He has uh, still to this day. He's the consummate professional, uh, extreme moral integrity. And uh, what a great analyst, and what a great operator. And finally today, he can add fantastic real estate investor to his resume as well, thanks to your help and his ability to apply himself. So John and I worked in Atlanta back in the early 90s. Uh, from there, uh, I joined a group and, and, and started as the only employee uh, for their Michigan operation. We did a market study in uh, the easiest market for entry at that point in the early 90s was sunny Detroit, Michigan. Uh, my wife is from the beaches of Florida, so that was a very cold summer for her. Uh, <laughs> and we began to market for management there uh, through that uh, endeavor. And by and over about nine months, I developed a nice little book of business, several thousand apartment units and a couple of commercial buildings. And, and I met a a fellow there that had some properties in the mid-cities of, uh, of Dallas-Fort Worth and began to manage those in late 90 and moved down there in 91 and started a, uh, a fee business there where our objective was to solely manage for others and not be competitors in the investment market. And luckily, I was able to uh, entice John Ridgeway. He and his family at that point moved to Dallas. Uh, he had family. His dad lives in the mid-cities, very prominent businessman there. So it was really rewarding to have John come to Texas. And with the help of a great team, boy, we had a lot of fun. Uh, both made some, some pretty good money and uh, some great contacts. Uh, it was a good time back in those days, in the, in the early 90s. A lot of things were happening in Dallas, Fort Worth. So, JB, um, I've noticed this. Um, you brought it up. You mentioned it, but I've noticed it. What is it about the the property management industry, the commercial side of it, uh, fee for management companies, where the guys, the up and coming people that are running these companies are uh, kind of instantaneously gratificationally diseased? They're they're like they live paycheck to paycheck, even when they make a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars a year. What is it about that industry that drives that type of lifestyle? You know what? It's uh, it's not only that industry. I see it across the board, particularly in North Texas, and I know you do down in in Houston as well. We just have this hyper consumption society, and if you if you get caught up in it, hell, you're supposed to have a new car every day, which is the single worst asset in my mind on a balance sheet. And 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 credits everywhere. I know when you and I grew up, if you there was no credit, if you couldn't afford something you didn't buy it we have people that are leveraging televisions they got to have the newest ultra 4d whatever and they got to put it on a credit card to get it while you and i are leveraging real estate and um it's just a disease and it's, and it's a mindset and it's a paradigm uh man i had a conversation just this week with somebody in my peer group who's a little bit older than i am and was inquiring about what I was doing 
and asking about my good friend uh, John Ridgeway, how he was doing. And this poor fella, he says, you know what, I ran into so-and-so, and he's just like you guys. He said he retired eight years ago. And I asked him, I said, wow, you're too young to retire. In his mind, retirement is uh, Social Security drafting, getting that check. Mm -hmm. He said, hey, you're too young to retire. And he said, I can't believe what he told me. I said, what did he tell you? He said, oh, it's not an age. It's the amount of money you need to live on. And, and this friend of mine just said, that blew my mind. He said, I, I'm going to retire in eight more years. And he looked old and tired and haggard already. And I said, why eight <laughs> years? Do you, do you have a plan? And he said, yeah, in eight years, I can draw the most I can from Social Security. And I felt so sorry for him. Here's a guy I've known 30 years that is not balance sheet affluent. He's income addicted. I don't know what he's making, but I know in, in, in the years, if he were part of the peer group I was, there were years he should have made three, four, five hundred $500,000. Well, when I was making that, boy, we saved every penny. We, not, we socked it away continuing to live cool. beneath our means. And here's a guy that just, as you said, very sad. Now, he's he's in his late 50s, and he really doesn't have anything to show for it. It's very sad. Well, we're going to take a break there, JB. Uh, we got one more segment where JB is going to go into his personal investments, uh, how he stepped through that, and what he believes in his own side of investing. We'll be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. You're listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell will be right back with more life-changing talk. Thirteen seventy. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time. Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. With me today is JB Data Durham, which is our multi-family consultant for our national department. Uh, JB, we got one segment left. I got to get it out of you. You got to squeeze it out of you. Uh, it's like squeezing a tube of toothpaste with the cap on. It just keeps bulking up, but it's not getting out. Let's pull out of you today here. What What was the first stuff you purchased? How did you break the seal? We want to know. Well, uh, you know, I, I uh, saved some money, and I and we started buying single-family homes in and around Florida State University in 1988. Uh, from that point, I became an absentee landlord because uh, my family and I relocated to the Virginia Beach area, uh, then to Atlanta, and then to that sunny location of, D of Detroit, Michigan, um, and then, of course, uh, down to Dallas. So uh, we got our feet on the ground, uh, and uh, we started uh, selling some of those single-family houses the, that we had uh, accrued over in the Florida market. Actually did 1031 exchanges. And uh, bought my first building in uh, 96 uh, in downtown Grapevine, a sleepy little town. Uh, what a great location. Uh, 24 units. Uh, maybe six months later, the spring, I'm guessing, of 97-ish, uh, 1031, the rest of the single family, and got into a 36-unit building. Uh, we still own both of those today. Uh, they're tremendous assets. Uh, and then soon what after was your, that, what was your, go ahead. oh, you got another one you personally could go ahead. Oh yeah. Yeah. The six months later, we bought 80 units, uh, about maybe less than a year later, we bought 140 units. Uh, this was just my wife and I as partners. So, um, uh, some of those, uh, we did some profit taking in 06, 07, just before 
the lending markets froze and we had an oversupply. So that was fortuitous uh, timing on that point. And, uh, you know, we've just always been uh, real estate investors, which shocks some people is that, you know, I've never had a 401k. I've never had an IRA. I've never owned one piece of a publicly traded stock. Now, I've been uh, I've had some, some privately held companies that, that I've been investors and operators and, and shareholders in. But my wife and I, when we had extra money, uh, we need to buy another building or we pay down some debt or, hey, we came up with the concept. Let's just start improving these interiors. And so a nicer appliance package, maybe an upgraded bathroom. And boy, that took off like wildfire. So that became our investment vehicle is, is, is our apartments. Now, I, I've heard that uh, from people that have seen your properties that they're very nice and that you take a lot of pride in them uh, and you've maintained them. How long have you owned these things now? Well, the the ones that we still have today, some of the older ones we've had since 96 or 97. Uh, I've always uh, learned uh, the hard way through observing, just like John and I both did, to you know make sure they're well capitalized. You know, that, that's what ends the ownership. That's the death spiral for an apartment partnership or the lifespan of an apartment is when you don't have enough capital, when you need that new roof and can't afford it, that's when it sells. So we've always been conservative with our financing. And I like nice things. I like people that like nice things as far as my customers. And I really want to be a market leader. You know, we charge the most rent of, of any other property in our micro markets, but we really feel strongly that you get a tremendous product and really phenomenal service. So our, our team that does it for us and has been have been doing it for well over 15 16 years uh they're totally empowered to uh buy whatever they need to get to make that customer happy so we're really appreciative of our team of employees and vendors and contractors that service our assets we're like you in most cases we're long-term owners Uh, i can't imagine not having uh, these assets because that's what gives me the freedom to do nothing or to take those leadership qualities that I have and apply them in, in other areas. Uh, very appreciative of, of, of the opportunity I have at Lifestyles. It is so rewarding uh, to work with uh, Cy and Jason in Iowa, just closed on their first building a couple weeks ago, to work with Francisco in, in Miami, who's uh, really working hard to close on his first property. You know, we've got Steve over in Phoenix, Arizona, who's been an independent and is looking to be a steward of money. He's going to be coming to the Dallas office to visit with our team in April. Uh, we've got some, some great uh, members in Atlanta, uh, Jimmy and Vanessa. They're on the verge of acquiring their first asset. A uh, great young man in Orlando, Mark. Uh, another longtime member, Richard, that, that transferred recently to Tampa from Dallas. And, boy, he's getting active over there. Uh, and then a hotbed of activity up in Michigan, Greg Scott uh, and his family. I just had a one-on-one session with Greg uh, yesterday, and wow, he is going to be a fantastic steward of money. And then locally uh, this last week, uh, I've been working with Kevin and Lori and DFW and Kyla and Kale and and uh, Dan and Karen, uh, all these couples. Uh, you know, they're breaking the paradigm for their families. They're making that that, that selfish choice to save that money deployed into real estate. Now, none of these people will probably ever spend the wealth they're going to create, but boy, what they're doing for their families and the other families, it's very, very rewarding. Yeah, that was going to be the next question I asked you. I'm glad you picked that up, was the freedom, because I know that from that point where you had those apartment complexes, your life changed. There was no more corporate America. I remember (laughs) a funny story. I don't think we have time to give today, maybe another day, 
where you told your boss to get out of your car as you're driving from the airport. <laughs> Yeah, that was a fun yeah, day. I love that story. That fun day, yeah. Yeah, so you, to be able to have your boss pick you up at the airport or you pick him up and you tell him to get the hell out of the car, I mean, that's that's a great day uh, for yeah, anybody that was, out there. that was when I cut the umbilical cord. And, and if I hadn't saved my way to have the confidence to, to make that decision, and I got to tell you, it was rewarding uh, to go from servicing residents, very rewarding, to servicing owners and very rich people and watch them fight and bicker and and some of them uh do things that lack integrity now i'm back to just servicing our residents again and uh little old ladies with leaky toilets and faucets and, and caring about them and being that steward of their lifestyle and managing the way they live uh that's very rewarding for our family and our employees so we take it very seriously well, JB, I want to thank you for being on. I want to thank you for your time you shared today and the story you shared today because I think it's going to touch some people's life. Uh, you know, you got to understand everybody's a little different. Every person that shares their story uh, might be able to take another 100 or 1,000 other people and go, boy, that's just like me. So thanks for being on today. And for the rest of you out there, remember this. JB and I don't do this just for some more money. We do this to create an incredible lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you tomorrow. Listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, teaching you the opposite of everything you've been taught so you can obtain the results you've never obtained. Join us seven days a week. Can't get enough? Visit DellOnTheRadio.com to listen to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, access past your podcasts, and join the conversation. information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley radio show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.